Well, thank you, Dr. Anderson, for the opportunity to uh, come in chapel and preach this morning. It's always kind of a privilege to open up God's Word and to share it uh, with others. And so as we begin this morning, I have to recall uh, one of the things I was taught in public speaking is that you never intensely want to offend your audience right from the beginning. That's generally not a good thing, but I have a feeling that my opening illustration this morning may offend a lot of you, so I wanted just to address the elephant in the room this morning as we uh, look at that illustration, and because we have considerable differences of opinion on this matter. But I'm going to open up with an illustration about one of the greatest sports known to mankind, and that is uh, the sport of basketball, right? And so not everybody would agree with that assertion that basketball is one of the greatest sports known to mankind. I'm sure Coach Fuller, where's Coach Fuller? Coach, yeah, he's back. Would you agree with that assertion? That, yes. yes, okay. So, see, we have there. And now, now, I was hoping Coach Pill would be here today, but he's not. He probably heard about my opening illustration, got so offended that he didn't show up for chapel to start with. But anyway, when, when you, if you ask Coach Pill about that, he would look at you and say, is it even a sport? I mean, you're in a climate-controlled environment. You only have five people on the floor at any one time. If they get tired, they can call a timeout. What's that? If they don't know what they're doing, the coach can call a timeout and explain it to them. And they must have that happen several times in a game because they have several timeouts each half. Is it even a sport? And so, you know, when you, when you consider that, when you consider basketball versus soccer, we enter into this area of logic, which is called the law of non-contradiction. Now, coach, what the law of non-contradiction says is that, uh, opposing views or realities cannot be, both be true in the same context at the same time. So how we can look at that with sports is that Coach Fuller could be right, that basketball is one of the greatest sports ever invented, or uh, that would mean that Coach Pill is wrong. Okay, Or Coach Pill could be right, and that basketball isn't even a sport, and that soccer is the greatest sport throughout the universe, and that Coach Fuller is wrong. So one of them can be right, and the other one can be wrong, and vice versa. There is another option. They could both be wrong, right, Coach? Right? They could both be wrong, because there are other, are other sports. Coach Spencer, right? They could, both, they could both be wrong. But they can't both be right. That's the law of non-contradiction. So... That doesn't really have anything to do with the message, but leading into the opening illustration, I'm going to assert that basketball is the greatest, one of the greatest sports known to mankind. Now, in my position, I had the opportunity to observe teachers teaching, and I, I really appreciate that opportunity. I learned a lot by watching other teachers teach. Now, I not only observe student teachers teaching, but I also have the opportunity to observe faculty members teaching. So here this year alone, I've done about 22 observations of either student teachers, this semester, either student teachers or faculty members, okay? And one of the first observations I did this semester was of Coach Borkhart, as he is an adjunct instructor for us this semester, teaching the class techniques of coaching basketball. And so I came in and sat in the back of the gym and was able to watch him teaching this course. And he was doing a masterful job as he was teaching his students some of the basic fundamentals of the game of basketball. Again, early on in the semester, so we're covering some very basic ideas and topics in that class. And the thing that they were going over in that class that day was how to do a layup. It's pretty basic, right? Okay, how to do a layup. 
As a matter of fact, I'm going to make sure each of you already knows how to do a layup. So if you'll stand with me just briefly, everybody just stand up for a minute, okay? So when you are doing a layup, and I'm talking about a a basic layup, I'm not talking about layups like Caleb does, you know, where he goes under the rim and does some stuff that looks acrobatic and ends up putting the ball off the glass. Nothing like that, right, Caleb? And so uh, I'm talking about a basic, straightforward layup. When you go from the right side, it's kind of like you're a marionette uh, puppet, right? If you're going from the right side, the ball's in your right hand. You're going up with your right hand. You're leaving off your left. You're jumping off your left foot, so your right hand and right foot are in the air. So just practice that as a right-handed layup. Right foot, right hand. Right foot, right hand. All right. Now, conversely, if you're coming from the left side, okay, you're going to be going off your right foot. Ball's in your left hand, so, again, the marionette puppet. Left hand, left foot. Ready? You just kind of do that and just kind of practice it. All right. So you can be seated now that you properly understand the form of how to do a layup. And, and you think that's funny, but Coach Borkhart had these basketball players, some of them on our men's basketball team, running layup drills without a basketball going. It almost looked like a ballerina practice there for just a minute. <laughs> but they were running through these fundamentals and learning. And quite frankly... Um, they needed to polish, some of them needed to polish that up just a little bit to work on some of those basic fundamentals of the game. Now, I have to admit, as I was watching Coach Burkhart instruct these individuals in this course, my mind began to go down memory lane just a little bit. And I really lamented the fact that I did not have a coach in high school like Coach Burkhart, who was interested in instilling in his players the importance of the fundamentals. I had some coaches who had servants' hearts. I had some coaches who loved to compete. I had coaches who loved to win, but quite frankly, they weren't very good basketball coaches. And as a result, they did not instill the fundamentals into us as players. Now, we had an athletic team, and as a result, we did very well for the most part. We never won any championships, but we were a respectable team. And my senior year, we actually started out the season going 5-0 and at the beginning of that year. And in that fifth game, I had the best game of my career. Now, looking at me now, you probably would not recognize me as a basketball player. I don't even recognize myself as a basketball player, okay? <clears throat> but if you don't believe what I'm about to say, you could go to the microfilm and the local newspapers and look it up. <laughs> All right? But in that game, ironically, against Maranatha Baptist Academy, uh, not this Maranatha Baptist Academy, but one in Elkton, Maryland, I scored 44 points and led our team to victory 65-59 to in that game. Best game of my life. Got my picture in the paper, got a big write-up in the paper, and I don't say that to be braggadocious, quite the opposite. Um, because what that did is it allowed me, as a senior in high school, an 18-year-old to become, uh, how should I say, a legend in my own mind, right? And I began to dream about the possibilities of what could be, you know, playing for Coach K at Duke Division I, making the NBA. After all, the marketing campaign of that day, which was long before most of you in this room were even born, was that you were to be like Mike. Michael Jordan, right? That was the theme. Be like Mike. The original Air Jordans that came out were red, white, and black, the Bulls colors, 
just happened to be my high school colors. I mean, it was, it was meant to be, okay? I was going to be the next Michael Jordan. As you can see, for many reasons, that did not happen. But one of the reasons that that never came to fruition is I cannot do a left-handed layup. Can't, to this day, cannot do it. If you asked me to do a left-handed layup, I would look like I was having some spastic reaction going up to the rim. It's all about the footwork, and I just can't. I, I've, by not being challenged to do it correctly and pay proper attention to the fundamentals when I was younger, I've learned bad habits when it comes to doing a left-handed layup, and I just, I just can't do it. Now, I might be able to stand there under the basket, right, and do one of these numbers and do it, but I, I can't drive to the back. I can dribble with my left hand, but I cannot finish with my left hand. I have to switch to the right hand to finish. And so by not giving proper attention to the fundamentals, listen to me now, I limited the future possibilities and prospects that I could have. I limited myself and what I would be able to potentially do in the future because I did not give proper attention to the basics. Now, I never played competitive basketball after I graduated from high school. Never again. You know, that, that was uh, the pinnacle of my basketball career. It was back, you know, you meet those people that look back, well, yeah, back in high school, that's the, that's the top of their career, right? In basketball, that was me. Because when I went to college, the Lord did a work in my heart. I got right, and I spent the next four years focused on the true greatest sport of all time, soccer. Okay, so just to settle that argument. But when we, when we think about that, and I think about you sitting out in the audience today, there are probably many of you who are thinking or dreaming about what future successes may hold as you leave Maranatha Baptist University and move on with your life. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you may unintentionally limit some of those possibilities that you may have if you don't take time now to focus on some of the basics, some of the fundamentals. Now, we're not called to be like Michael Jordan, obviously, but we are called to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we look in the scriptures, we see that the Apostle John writes in uh, 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. The Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians, or he admonishes them, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Peter instructs his audience, For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. But that raises several questions. What does it mean to be Christ-like? And how do we go about living as Christ lived? So, when I, when I think about that, I ask, what does it mean to be like Jesus? We can talk about that all day long, I'm sure you've heard plenty of chapel messages and sermons on what it means to be Christ-like. But specifically, what does it mean to be like Jesus when Jesus was your age? Now, the majority of you here in the room this morning are probably between the ages of 18 and 22. 
So when we think about what was Christ doing when he was your age, that's an interesting question. Because the Word of God gives us a lot of information about Jesus' birth and even some of the events that took place in his childhood. And we know a whole lot about what Jesus did from the time his public ministry started until his crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. But what was he doing when he was your age? We only have one verse of Scripture that relates that to us, and it's found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2 and verse number 52. So I invite you this morning to turn to Luke chapter 2, verse number 52, and it is my intention to encourage you to focus on the fundamentals or to focus on the basics as we look at a paradigm for personal development from Luke chapter 2 and verse number 52. And in Luke 2, 52, it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and in favor with man. Now, Howard Hendricks recognizes in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, that this verse explains the developmental process in his life where Jesus grew in four areas. He grew in wisdom, which is intellectual development. He grew in stature, or physical development. He grew in favor with God, spiritual development. And he grew in favor with man, social and emotional development. Bruce Ware also addresses this uh, concept in his book, The Man Christ Jesus, where he recognizes that this development was not a function of his divine nature, but is in the expression of his growth as a human being. In other words, Jesus spent his time from 12 to 30 developing himself as a human being in preparation for the ministry that God was calling him to. Now, we, we all sometimes forget that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He's not a 50-50 split. Uh, and when we think about that Jesus being 100% God and 100% man, in theological terms, we call that the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ. Quite frankly, I can't explain it to you beyond that. And if I think about it too much, I feel like one of those commercials where my head just explodes. But we see all throughout Scripture that Jesus had to develop as a human being. And I find that quite interesting, just to think about. I'd hear over Thanksgiving, I had the opportunity to hold my first grandson. He was three weeks old on Thanksgiving Day. And as I'm holding my grandson and looking at him, and we are approaching the time where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, where Mary and Joseph would hold their infant son, their infant child, and look at him and realize that the God of the universe sent his son Jesus Christ in to be born as a human being to limit his deity and submit himself to the mortality of humanity in order that he may grow and develop to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins. And we read about in Philippians chapter 2 and other places where Jesus limited himself. And so he's developing as a human being here in, in Luke chapter 2 and two verse 52. And he is growing and maturing in these four areas. His intellectual development, physical development, spiritual development, and social development. 
Now, the tendency is when we look at these four areas, we want to put them in silos and look at them individually. And oftentimes, we may approach them cafeteria style. Well, I will focus on this one, but not so much maybe on this one because I don't like that one. And we move on and we go to the other. But really, we shouldn't look at them in individualized or compartmentalized silos, but rather, if you're familiar with a Venn diagram, we should look at them as interlocking or overlapping circles. Now, the three latter circles would be placed squarely in the larger circle of that first one, wisdom or intellectual development. After all, Proverbs 4, 7 tells us wisdom is the principal thing. So we have to have an understanding of different things in order to improve in those areas. It it would be very difficult for you to grow spiritually if you didn't understand some spiritual knowledge or information. You have to uh, receive that information in order to grow. So wisdom is the foundation of all of these uh, areas of development. Now, John Alexander, who is a former president of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, said, failure to develop our intellects dishonors the God who created us in his own image. Now, consequently, that's what most of you are here at Maranatha Baptist University doing. You are working to expand or to develop your intellect. Hopefully, right? You're not just here to goof off. You're here to learn. True? And so as you go to class, that's why it's important that you give each and every course your utmost attention. You give it your fullest effort. Because even if you don't like the course or you don't understand why that course is included in your major, that course is there to mold you to be the instrument that God wants you to be as he prepares to use you to fulfill his will for your life. Colossians 3.23 tells us, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily, as unto the Lord, and not unto men. And so as you pursue your education here at Maranatha Baptist University, and you are developing your intellect, you need to understand how that happens. The first first point is the acquisition of knowledge. You have to learn the, the facts. Okay? And, but learning the facts in and of itself is not enough. As teachers, we push you and hopefully challenge you to think critically and to go a little bit further in the assimilation of knowledge. So it's not just the acquisition of knowledge, but the assimilation of that knowledge. For those of you in the teacher's ed department, you will recognize Bloom's taxonomy. That's the whole point of it, is to take you from the acquisition of knowledge to the assimilation of knowledge. But it doesn't end there. The third part of developing our intellect is the application of knowledge. You know, someone who learns the information and even understands the information, which is that assimilation, which Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 continues by telling us, wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So we're supposed to accumulate the knowledge, we're supposed to assimilate the knowledge, but if we never learn to apply the knowledge, then that is just a travesty. You know, moving ahead into more of a spiritual realm, One of the most discouraging things as a pastor is to have a graduate from a Bible college or or, or, or college such as Maranatha that comes to your church with all of the head knowledge of what the Bible teaches. And even if you sit down and have a conversation with them, they have an accurate understanding of what the Bible means, 
and yet you can't get them motivated to get out of the pew and put feet to their face. That is a very discouraging thing as a pastor. And I don't want you as students to leave here just cramming your heads full of knowledge and not taking that knowledge and using it for God's honor and God's glory by effectively putting it into practice. That's why our mission statement here at Maranatha is to develop you to be leaders in the church and around the world, and we want you to go with purpose, to serve with passion, and to lead with integrity, because we want you to take what you are learning and not just put it in your head, but allow it to go from your head to your heart to your feet as you go out and carry out the mission of the gospel. And so you need to be challenged to to learn all that you can because you never know what God is going to use in your life, what doors he's going to open, and how those specific courses that you may or may not like come into play. When I was an undergraduate student, we had a major with a track, and then we had a minor or a concentration And so my concentration was in business administration. Why did I pick business administration? Well, Dr. Davis, it sounded cool, right? All the cool people picked business administration. So I picked business administration and took those courses, not fully understanding how that preparation would impact my life. But I am here to testify to you this morning that as I left the halls of my alma mater and entered out into ministry, I found myself drawing more on that block of concentration courses than I ever imagined that I would in my life. And they become a great blessing and open many doors of ministry to me and have allowed the Lord to use me in certain ways that I may not have been able to have been used if it weren't for my intentional preparation and effort in gathering that knowledge, accumulating that knowledge, assimilating that knowledge, and learning how to apply that knowledge. So, you know, whatever the course may be, I hear students, even at this level, that say, why do I have to take this course? I'm going to pick on one department, one major for a specific purpose, and I I hate to do it because there's only, I guess, one guy in the class right now. So those of you who are in the class may figure this out. He, and he hasn't said this directly to me, but there have been others in his situation who have expressed to me or to the teacher, why as a youth ministries major do I need to take secondary and middle school teaching methods? <laughs> and they come into the class semester after semester, and they sit there and they say, bring it on. Prove to me why, this, why I need to be here. And I will also tell you from experience that learning those pedagogical principles and how they affect uh, your ministry are, is probably one of the most valuable courses that you will take in your education. When you get out, you will find that to be true. And all the disciplines probably have courses such as that. Why am I taking this? I'm here to challenge you to apply yourself in those areas and to get all of the learning and the training and the information that you can get to make yourself more available to God's plan for you in the future so he can use you as a sharpened and prepared tool for his honor and hit for his glory. Now, for sake of time, we're going to move pretty quickly. But the second, the second area of development is physical development there in Luke 2.52. 
Jesus developed in wisdom and in stature. Howard Hendricks noted in his book, Teaching to Change Lives, that the physical dimension is often the area evangelical Christians neglect most consistently. And I think that's a sad commentary. Because you only have one body. And your ministry can be severely limited or hindered by how you steward and take care of your physical body. Now, I'm not talking about genetic uh, dispositions that you may have or problems or diseases that you may have or things that may come into your life that are a result of the sin-cursed world that we lived in and are outside of your control. I'm talking about the stewardship and management of the body that God has given you. Now, this is, quite frankly, I don't think I could hide this fact. This is one of my hardest areas, okay? I struggle with this area. Maybe it's because I think that the hostess Twinkie is man's successful uh, way of figuring out how to preserve manna for more than one day. But I don't know. But that's, uh, I struggle with this area, right? Taking care and stewarding my body the way that it should. But we only have one body. So when we, thought, when we look at how we should develop physically, there are three basic areas, and I'm not going to take the time to go into all of them in detail today, but we should be concerned about our physical appearance. 1 Samuel 16, 7b reminds us that the Lord uh, seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, while it is true that it's conveying that God is more concerned about what is inside of you rather than what's outside, the inverse understanding of that verse is that man is concerned with what? Your appearance, how you look. And so we do need to be concerned about how we look, our physical appearance, in order to uh, have the opportunities and it not to be uh, something that would be a stumbling block to the ministry that God has called us to. An unacceptable physical appearance may hinder your ministry opportunities, therefore physical appearance should be given attention. The second one is your physical appetites. You know, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so this is a principle when we're talking about nutrition and other things that we should be concerned with. And thirdly, physical activities. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, we are commanded to take responsibility for our bodies, okay? And so we are, we are not our own. We're bought with a price. So we're to glorify God in our body. So we should be concerned with physical development. We should be concerned with intellectual development. Thirdly, we should be concerned with spiritual development. And this is, quite frankly, a very, very important part of this whole process. And so how do we develop ourselves spiritually? I'm going to give you three quick ways. The first one is biblical immersion. You have to get into the Word of God. You have to read the Word of God. You have to memorize the Word of God. You have to study the Word of God. And I'm not talking about studying it for an Old Testament survey assignment. I'm talking about studying it for your spiritual development and growth. You have to do that. You have to immerse yourself in order to grow spiritually. I think Pastor Loggins did an excellent job last week of addressing this area, of focusing on our spiritual growth and development outside of the academic assignments that you may have here as a student. The second area that we need to focus on is biblical illumination or understanding. Now, Jesus tells us in John 16, 13, referring to the Spirit, that he will guide you into all truth. 
As a result, we should be praying and asking the Lord to help us to understand what we are immersing ourselves in. What does this passage of Scripture mean? And there are certain study tools that we can cultivate and principles that we can cultivate, these hermeneutical principles of how to interpret God's word correctly. But we should be praying and asking the Lord to help us to understand his word as he is the best teacher there is when it comes to the scriptures. Thirdly is biblical integration. We need to learn to apply the scriptures to our everyday life. You know, in 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul tells us that we are to... Uh, study the word of God. Why? So that we might rightly divide the word of truth. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter admonishes us, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. We need to be not only immersing ourselves in God's word and and, and pray, prayerfully seeking to understand God's word, but we need to learn how to apply God's word to our everyday life. This is how we develop ourselves spiritually. That's why James said that we're not to be just hearers of the word, but doers as well. Now, I found this ironic, but John Alexander, who's a former professor and chair of geography at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, made this statement. The opportunity and the challenge to the Christian in education is to study the Bible well, to probe every sphere of learning for which he has capacity and time, and then to apply the truths of Scripture to those spheres of learning and to every aspect of life. That's an amazing quote, very insightful. But we need to be developing ourselves spiritually. We need to be developing ourselves Physically, We need to be developing ourselves intellectually. And finally, we need to be developing ourselves relationally. The last part of Luke 2.52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, favor with God and favor with man. How are your interpersonal relationships? Let me ask you, how, how is your relationship with your parents? Well, you say, my parents aren't even saved. They're not living for the Lord. Um, they don't, uh, there might be, my parents maybe not aren't, aren't even alive. There are different, I know there are different set of circumstances, but how is your relationship with your parents? You're reaching that point in life where you may not need to necessarily obey everything your parents say to do, but the scriptures do tell us that we are to honor our parents. How is that relationship? How about your relationship with your peers? Proverbs 18.24 tells us, a man who has friends must show himself friendly. You know, it saddens my heart sometimes when I walk around campus and I'll see individual students who just seem to isolate themselves from others. And we need to do a, a real good job, and I think we do, of reaching out to each other and to incorporating each other into the campus life. Uh, I believe, uh, for the most part, we do a good job of that, but there, there's some of this that relies upon you. You say, you don't understand, I'm, I'm an introvert by nature. You may not believe it, but so am I. My, my natural uh, leanings would be to go into a cabin and, uh, you know, just with my family and not have to interact with the rest of the world. And I, as long as I had my basic needs, I would be perfectly content. Don't, don't take offense at that, okay? But the reality is uh, the commandments in Scripture would not permit me to do that. 
because I have a job and a responsibility. And part of that, that job and that responsibility as a believer is to cultivate relationships with others so that we may in turn be a blessing to them and to share the gospel with them and to be iron sharpening iron. There are so many different things we could talk about. But how is your relationship with your peers? And then relationships with professionals. So you can study the book of Proverbs and you will see over and over we are to seek godly, competent counsel from others around us. And as you are preparing to go out into your ministry and career, you should be cultivating uh, those type of relationships with professionals in your realm, in your sphere, who can help lead, guide, and direct you in the proper way of moving forward. Now, I, I brought all this this morning because I want to encourage you to focus during this stage of your life on these basic things that the scriptures tell us the Lord Jesus Christ applied himself to when he was your age. I don't know what ministry and opportunities the Lord has for you in the future, but I do know this. It is true that God can use us despite ourselves. It is true that God uses the weak things to confound this world. It is true God uses people in certain situations that would not have been able to do it on their own for his honor and glory. I'm not, I'm not uh, discounting any of that or trying to say something opposite of any of that, but I also know that it is true that we are instructed to develop the gifts and the skills and the abilities that God has given us in all four of these areas so that we may be a vessel that can be used by him for his honor and his glory. Don't neglect giving intentional attention to these basics, these fundamentals, so you don't inadvertently limit the ministry or the opportunities that God may have for you in the future. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come together today. I thank you for these students. Lord, I pray that you will work in each and every one of their hearts and lives and prepare them for the ministry that you have for them, Lord. Use them for your honor and your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.